Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to a very special episode of the No Encore Music Podcast. Uh, it's kind of no encore Irish album we've visited at this stage. And the year is 1996. We're going to look back at some records from that year, which we think that kind of deserve a bit of a second life. Back in 96, uh, the likes of Independence Day, Mission Impossible and Space Jam lit up the silver screen. Jim Carrey became the first actor to earn $20 million for a film. That was The Cable Guy. It's one for your pub trivia there. Eric Cantona took over captain duties at Manchester United following the departure of Steve Bruce before retiring from football altogether at the age of 30 at the end of the season. And in the Olympic Games in Atlanta, Michelle Smith won three gold medals and a bronze for Ireland in swimming amidst some controversy. And one of our panellists today was four years old, which makes me feel very old in particular. Going to go around the table and introduce our guest today, that aforementioned young uh, four-year-old in 96, <laughs> was uh, Zara Hederman, journalist for the Thin Air and State magazine and a regular contributor to the No Walker podcast. Zara, how are you? Hi. I've grown up a little bit since then. Just, just, just a, a little smidge. bit. Just a smidge. <laughs> We're also joined by uh, Neve Farrell from Ham Sandwich. Hello. How, how are you? Going good. Yeah. Good, good to have you on board. Thank you. Uh, as always, my main man, Cole Morrigan, is here. How's it going? It's going good, man. You look great. Cheers. And Kieran uh, McGuinness from Delorentos. I thought I was going to be your main man there for excited. For a minute, I got excited. <laughs> I, I like. I'm sorry, guys. I apologize. Edit all this Just edit it so it says fine. my main man. <laughs> we're all good. We're all good. But yeah, '96. Um, I, I I went to see Mission Impossible in the in in. Uh, I used to love Gun Cinema when, when I was. I'm kind of showing my age there, but like you know, the golden age. It was a golden age of many things. Was it a golden age for Irish music though? That's kind of what we're here to decide. And we got a we got a short list, don't we, Kieran? What have we got of all the albums? 
that were released that year and there was a lot that was um, that I could find there was 15 or 16 and we kind of broke them down between the five of us in alphabetical order amusement and after optimism ash 1977 uh, the divine comedy and casanova the high llamas with hawaii and roller skate skinny with speed no sorry with the horse drawn wishes speed to my size is a single sorry so um yeah that's it's funny because i was wondering when i made you know we made up the list or whatever i was thinking how is it how are they going to sit and it's it's almost all the, the kind of the bit like ash and divine comedy and the high llamas and roller skate skinny i could nearly i could nearly imagine them being on it before in in the top five the cranberries didn't make it in you know and a house didn't make it in which i was surprised by thought they would have been not necessarily that i was surprised by they were the biggest names and amusement was one of the more kind of um lesser known names to get in so it's kind of interesting to to go back and see what what pops up it's kind of strenuous as well i mean like uh, even putting it together i guess kind of like whittling it down but you gotta be ruthless man and i i, I kind of sense some disappointment for a couple of those choices but i feel like I, i'm actually pretty happy with this list I, I think there's some quite good diversity and i think part of this project as well one of the good things about it is kind of hearing records that you either hadn't heard before ever or ones that you kind of maybe heard a couple of times when you were younger like i, I kind of felt that like going back to some of these in particular I, I was struck by how different I thought they would sound, if that makes sense. I kind of was like, well, you know, like I, I've heard this before and I'm not really going to get anything from it now, am I? And, and I did. And I was, I, I was pleasantly surprised in the case of one particular record, which I will talk about later on. But uh, where should we start, Cullum? Just when you're mentioning all those albums, what impressed me was, I guess, the, the complexity and the, the scale of ambition. Because I was looking back at 1996 and music in general and, you know kind of what was really actually making the headlines, basically. Macarena was on top of the charts for 14 weeks. <laughs> the Spice Girls brought out their debut. Spice Girls, yeah. We were introduced to the Spice Girls, presumably to fill the hole in our hearts of Take That, who announced that they were done uh, in February, or for the time being at least. Uh, can the can Stone say, Roses confirmed they were on, done. Uh, on Take That, sorry. For I, the time being. I recall uh, watching Dave Fanning on 2TV, mm-hmm. and people ringing in uh, and in floods of tears, bawling their eyes out crying, and you've never seen Dave Fanning take more... Did you ring in to Dave Fanning? I, ha- I had to take a day off school. I was so <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Well, I hope you didn't I ring in... I seriously did. I seriously did. I hope did. you didn't ring Dave Fanning, because I remember oh. vividly him destroying the people. There was one girl who was just sounded on the verge of, like, absolute despair, and yeah. he was like, get a life, would you? Like, it was <laughs> the vicious wrestling heel style side of Dave Fanning that I'd never quite seen before. But yeah, so... A, well, ba- a bad man in 96. And if you still have the tape and go back and find that it was a of F from me, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. some dots yeah. have certainly been joined here. I hope he didn't make you relive that trauma. I didn't know. I had to stay in my room and I cried for a whole day. Yeah. The comeback yeah. was unbelievable, though, but let's not jump ahead to 2007 no. just yet. <laughs> what else was happening in 96? <laughs> like I say, yeah, I mean, I wasn't that much older than Zara. I was eight. So, you we know, could have been such good friends back I feel then. Really I used to, old. I used to this isn't a competition, lads. I okay? feel really old. I stayed up late to watch the Olympics in Atlanta that summer. Uh, I went into third class. Um, you know, it was all happening, really. Well, that's pretty good. Um, and uh, Tupac died. Yeah. <laughs> just, just as an aside, I can't say I was all that caught up about it in, in 1996, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Uh, I was vaguely aware of Oasis and, like, them just being a thing at the time because that was the summer that they played to 350,000 people at Network which was just kind of unheard of really Mm. but that's funny because there isn't a big um, kind of a Britpoppy influence on a lot of these uh, albums Mm. you know that like there's definitely there's definitely a lot of um, 
Pixies kind of alternative rock you know over the course of the kind of 15, 16 albums mm. um, there's definitely a kind of the, that orchestral pop which is you know the kind of clever orchestral pop which mm-hmm. is in the Divine Comedy album which is in the High Lambs album which is in the Our House album which which isn't here but I would say is probably reasonably high up as well um, and then there's the kind of you know as I said, that My Bloody Valentine, which is definitely in a bit of the roller skate skinny, it's definitely in the amusement album. Yeah. Um, and there's also that, as I said, Pixies thing, which is in like the Revelino album and stuff like that. The only album, the most unusual album out of this, the, this, the, the kind of pile from the year that I heard was the Pale. Did you hear the Pale album? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's good. But it was, it's so, it was so unusual. Like it was just very weird. Unusual, it didn't yeah. hang together as well, I think, as some of the other albums. But it was definitely inventive and kind of one of the more different albums, you know. Uh, should we actually start? Should we get into one of these records? We'll look at That's Ash, I suppose. Um, let's have a listen to some of 1977. <laughs> That's from 1977, something of a pivotal record, one that a lot of people still have an awful lot of love for in 2016. Nee Farrell, what is your relationship with this record? Oh, I love this album. Um, I was very excited that it was on the list. I remember the visiting my cousin when the year that the album came out, 1996, I would have been 13. Um, and she had it on tape. She just bought it on tape. And I was obviously, as I said, I was into the boy bands and stuff like that, you know, Spice Girls just come out and stuff. So I was more into that kind of stuff. I remember her putting the tape on in her room and I just, I just loved it. I loved it. I was like, this is brilliant. You know, I got really excited about it and uh, kind of forgot about it for a while. And I think it was when, maybe when I was kind of 15, 16, then I started listening to, you know, more kind of the Pixies and stuff like that. Like, and then I went back to, uh, 1977 and Ash and I love music that is nostalgic and I love music that gives me a feeling of kind of memory and stuff you know what I mean I'm, I'm a big I'm a big lyrics person I'm like constantly like listening to lyrics that's that's my thing you know and it's kind of it's just it's just that romantic thing I have in my head with this album that you know it was I, I always say that I'm a 15-year-old girl trapped inside a 33-year-old woman's body because I'm pretty sure that I am, you know. <laughs> so this kind of album, it just really brings me back, you know, and I love that and I love music that has a sense of just taking you to a different place, you know, and like songs like when when I hear Oh Yeah again and Girl From Mars, it just like, it just sets my heart on fire, you know, and I love that and I love, and I think music should should do that to an extent, you know. Um, does it the same as, um, like, do you, when you go back to it, does it, does it give you the same feeling as... It probably doesn't give it, me the same feeling, I would say, in a sense, you know, because, you know, you you grow and you change, you know what I mean? So I don't think you could ever capture the feeling you got when you first listened to a record. But when you go back and listen to something, like there's some stuff that I used to listen to and I go back and listen to now and I go, jeez, that was 
absolute shite. Like, what was I thinking? And it sounds terrible, but you remember you remember how amazing it sounded when you heard it back when you were sixteen, seventeen. You know, and I think that's it. It's like it, this album definitely still sounds good or great to me. You know, probably doesn't sound. You know, it probably doesn't give me the same kind of feelings that it did back then, but it definitely gives me a sense of just loveliness. You know, I can't des- I, I, I can't describe it, but it's like, you know, when you just listen to something and you kind of, you know, you just you feel like a teenager again. You That's know, it, isn't it? That they, and it's they just they embody that, like, that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, in one way, you would say that, you know, okay maybe a few tracks, maybe some of the style hasn't aged well. At the same time, this probably couldn't have been made at any other point. Like, even if Ash yeah. themselves had written these songs two or three years later, you would have been like, jeez, lads, you're 22 mm. years old. Calm yeah. yourselves on. I think yeah. the legacy of this album as well is quite impressive because, like, they're touring it at the moment and it's just, like, constantly selling mm. out. Like, people are just like, amazing, let's go yeah. see it. But then also, I was really shocked to... Um, learned today that lose control is in a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mad. Like when you yeah, I mean there there are tunes in there, and I mean yeah, you talk about legacy. I mean you know the music center in Belfast is the oh yeah center. I mean oh yeah, that was an album yeah. Oh, yeah. that really just <laughs> yes, yeah, like it seems to have been day. a really like impactful. Like album, I say, it is going to cool. be strange watching three guys in their late 30s playing it on stage yeah. in the Olympia in a few yeah. months Tim Wheeler yeah. hasn't really aged though he, no. he, looks yeah, pretty he much just looks the same but I think <laughs> probably a lot of the people that will be going to that will be the people who grew up with that Absolutely. album but it's, yeah, it's, so it's kind of like that won't really make too much of a difference it's the sound of a thousand school bands like, though isn't it like I mean it's totally that youthful thing it takes me right back to like mitching off the class in fifth year and like going to see my mates terrible punk band yeah. in their shed like you know yeah. and but thinking that that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen yeah. and that unbelievable live power of it and it's been like this is just like again not good like their songs weren't like my mate's band songs weren't good but like just that kind of thing the, the, that, that giddiness that kind of raw energy yeah. you let it what you like you don't look for you know gloss here you don't look for perfect compositions you just totally go with what's there and that's why I think mm. a record like that will always kind of live and I think I, I, it's just so it's it, even now, like, I mean, like, yeah, fine, you might look back and go, yeah, it's a bit simplistic, it's a bit straightforward. Um, some of the songs, maybe some of the lyrics are a bit questionable. Um, mm. Actually, one of the songs, tell me this, um, Lost in You, right? Can someone tell me if this is meant to take off Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Night? Or is this a case of, like, when Flame and Lips wrote Fight Test and they were stunned when Cat Stevens came calling? Because I was just listening to that and I was like... That's that's strange of the night. Like that is like blatantly that melody. Okay, yeah. Uh, I hope I haven't like there, there caused any rich to be written. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like I was just like because I, I had I had a solid like half an hour of like what song is that? That's driving me crazy. <laughs> I think the songs that have like it's the the kind of the more classic sounding stuff is the stuff that's lasted and the kind of punkier stuff is still you know it still sounds good but mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't make me want to go back and listen to it as much you know but like. The song Oh Yeah and the song Goldfinger and there's a song that I forgot about called Gone the Dream on it um, which is the fifth or sixth song. And Goldfinger is incredible. It's, it's an amazing so song. Well. For years Tim Wheeler said it was the best thing he'd ever written. Yeah, and yeah it's brilliant and it's, it, it, she sips into the night and she is gone. You know, it's, yeah. this, it's such a simple lyric Yeah, but it's so evocative sort of, you know. It's, and, yeah, and that, that whole song for me is like it's kind of that's the song that I hear and I feel a warm summer evening. Do you know that kind of yeah. way where you yeah. feel, you feel that kind of 
summertime kind of walking around with your mates like you know listening on your CD player or something you know it's kind of like it makes you feel that and I think that's why the gigs you know revisiting this album and the gigs it does so well because it's the nostalgia ticket Mm. and people love being nostalgic you know Mm. and that's what it's you know that's where where it's at like people love going to these gigs and they love feeling these feelings again and you know, that's not an not? easy thing to do either because you see enough films and TV shows that, you know, are set in a school and you're watching them thinking, my school days were nothing like that. Yeah. And then occasionally you have one come along where, you know, even people who are removed from school by 20 years can turn it on and say, okay, now I recognise these characters, I recognise these people because this is exactly what it was like. And to me, there's a, an element of that on this album where you listen to it and, I mean, you know, we're saying revisiting it. Obviously, like, I wasn't a teenager when this record came out. This didn't soundtrack my teens by any means. But I listened to this and I'm like, yeah, when I was a teenager, I felt like this. Yeah, and I'd, yeah. If I was able to make music better than I did when I was a teenager, it would have sounded like this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a heck of an achievement. So what you're saying is it wouldn't have sounded like the second record on our list then? which is a much more violent affair, quite an aggressive (laughs) record. Uh, This is Amusement. This is taken from And After Optimism. That's a hell of a wordy title. Like, quite unwieldy, let's be honest about it, shall we? I don't think he was worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Okay, so for me, uh, this was a record that I pretty much, like, out of the list I kind of put forward uh, over a few others. Uh, Confession Time, I'd never heard it before. Uh, it was new for me. And I really like this. This mm, is uh, yeah. right up my street. And uh, my first kind of impression, though, is I'm like... Yeah, the members of Girl Band and Bitch Falcon definitely have copies of this, don't they? Like, I mean, like, it's that kind of, like, grungy, kind of, you know, like, kind of post-punk thing going yeah, on. Very grungy. Like, mm. the opening drums in the third track, uh, as it is, is very similar to the opening drum beat in Paul by Girl Band. Like, I mean, like, like, it's just a floor tom, but, like, so I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but it just has that same kind of, like, you know, like, you're about to be thrown into something kind of yeah. thing. Like, a cool little build-up, and then it gets going. Yeah, the first three tracks in particular on this record knocked me out. I was like, this is sound... I mean, like, like the, to learn that it was recorded in a bedroom, I was like, in like in 1995 yeah. or 6, or whatever, on an 8-track. Yeah. How is this guy not producing, like bigger records because like there's an incredible like like this is a wave of sound very similar Mm -hmm. in in a way to kind of my buddy valentine's loveless um maybe a more kind of you know aggressive version than even that maybe not necessarily as good of a record but very much in the same vein and yeah i'm i'm very impressed by this Mm -hmm. and he's like now he's like working in sound engineering and producing like acts like say jape and david kitt and keen agent which are yeah quite far from I did Wheel of Corners as well, which yeah. is it's just different. I think it sounds, it reminds me a lot of, of Eels. You know, the, uh, there's bits of it that reminds me of it. And I'd never heard of this album before this, yeah. so this is like totally new to me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I think it sounds both quite 90s and also quite modern mm-hmm. in the way that sometimes music now can sound retro. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. going for the retro sound, but it, it sounds like that. And um, like some of the songs, I can't believe that they weren't played by a band. Uh, like uh, there's a song I think it's and and to this day which is the third track I think mm. 
and it has a really, really great groove and, it, and I, I'm really surprised that it wasn't played by band because it sounds like you'd have to play that out mm. to get that feel, you know. Mm. Um, uh, some of the tracks, uh, there's a song called As It Is, which is my standout track in the album. And, you know, it just sounds much more developed than, you know, just than, a, you know, this the, the thing of being a band in a room. It just sounds, it's much richer, it's much more mm. detailed, it's much more sort of interesting than a lot of the other stuff. Now, I don't think I don't think it's a perfect album, you know, some of the songs are too long and yeah. you know, some some of the the melodies and the lyrics maybe aren't as mm. uh they, they're kind of functional at some at, at times. Um It's a bit front loaded as well. I mean, it kind of makes its impression very early doors and doesn't quite sustain it for the entire kind of yeah. 45 49 minutes or so, but it's still as that goes. I was surprised at how quick of a listen it was. Yeah, I actually thought the Earlier today when I was listening to it and then I saw it was 44 minutes long. Sorry. And I was... <laughs> <laughs> Shot the like, you know. I actually thought I was like, fair play, like that's actually quite a gracious amount of time to cut yourself off at 44 minutes. I thought that was the perfect time length for this kind of album. Whereas yeah. something like with High Lamas, Hawaii, and it's, it's like that as well as most like a predominantly instrumental album too where it just drags on a bit I feel at the end um, whereas this I feel it knew what it was doing which is like no I'm done at mm. the same time I felt this album knew what he was doing and I don't know what this says about the other people at the table who enjoyed it I, I felt I felt <laughs> oh. it was just so standoffish in a way and Maybe, obviously the yeah. story from behind the, its creation where he kind of locked himself in a bedroom it makes sense but yeah because when I was listening to it like the buzzwords that I have down here are chaotic layered angry ironic but, yeah, but like look look, <laughs> look look at the track listing even uh, and it's all it's the like, songs like dum dum and boy no more laughter or something like that yeah <laughs> more, more, more pricks <laughs> yeah, more pricks are so weird. More, yeah. more pricks what a song title that is but I think um, that's just the angstiness of the 90s that seemed to have been so alive yeah but you know what there was I think the whole point of the angsty rock album the angsty rock movement as it were was kind of you know I'm really angry and I better connect with you because you feel the same way whereas this was kind of like I'm really angry because you don't understand me (laughs) and I don't really want you to listen to the record or understand me and I'm not worried about making it in any way penetrable so that you might be able to empathise with that See, this totally this totally supports my girl band theory because you can't stand girl band for the exact same reasons and girl band are fantastic and you're wrong Cullum But I think there is a true there is a true line I mean I mean maybe not necessarily exactly but girl band but you know there there's a lot of really inventive stuff on this and sometimes mm-hmm. you know he does a thing and, and I was thinking as well because he's a producer and because he'd been in bands like The Idiots and stuff which are quite punky I was wondering whether he was just going I wonder can I do this with this mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of like you know distorting the hell out of the vocal and like that was I thought that was really mid 90s some of that like very um, like Smashing Pumpkins you know the way yeah. that he did that uh, and some of that sounded like ideas for the sake of ideas but when it worked it all came to. I thought it came together really, really well, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. I was actually really glad that this is. Um, I didn't know if I, like I didn't know if anyone else was going <laughs> to plump for this one, but I, I really it glad took me like, it took me like a minute, like less, less, yeah. less than less than six seconds. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I don't I need to hear this. the rest. This is in. 
Great uh, amusement, yeah. all right. Uh, Pixies have been mentioned, actually, and I think that that's kind of another three line as well. I mean, I'm getting that kind of, you know, pretty much like my brother's record collection, basically. It's just like, you know, pumpkins, Pixies, yep. a little bit of Alice in Chains, that kind of thing. And you're just like, I love that old sound. Like, I love that. When guitars kind of had that, like, real kind of power to them, even like, you know, obviously, you know, Radiohead, with the reason everyone loves Creep so much is because of that crunch that... I, yeah. I don't think anyone has still figured out how he does that, but that's the kind of magic there. So, but yeah, very different again to the next record that we're going to discuss, uh, which is Divine Comedy and Casanova, which sounds like this. My type hibernate in bedrooms above, composing their songs of love. Young, uniform. So that's from Casanova, Divine Comedy. Uh, pretty much the breakthrough record, really, for Neil Hannon. Got a lot of attention. Uh, got, got some very, very positive notices in the likes of Q Magazine, Mojo. I think Rolling Stone gave it a really good review, actually, and alongside your usual kind of hot press bluster. But um, yeah, I really like this, and I think it kind of, you know, that he was actually interviewed uh, recently enough to promote his latest record. Uh, Hillary White interviewed him for the Irish Independent and the quote they kind of came away with was uh, facing reality and writing a dumb song about it is kind of the best way to go through it and that's pretty much what I took from this record like this is like such a trumped up vaudevillian kind of record where it's like kind of like I feel like Duke Special and like Neil Hannon would you know put them in the same room and maybe like everyone would just spontaneously combust or something well, no, you, like, do, you do know this has happened frequently I know like, it happens together yeah. a lot <laughs> I'm aware but, like, but I feel like but I don't think that they're both obviously they're both sides of the same coin but I quite like the fact that like you know like Duke Special kind of where his heart might swell and burst at the kind of you know tragedy of it all uh, I think you know and I, I think Duke Special is great but like there's such a smile on this record like he, mm-hmm. like it's it's clearly like holding up a funhouse mirror to things and yeah I was just like really quite surprised by just how big it sounds and like how it kind of flits from one thing to the other but doesn't collapse and you know obviously I think the probably best known for uh, Songs of Love which is you know the Fall of Ted theme tune when it got repurposed for that but I think it deserves to be known for more than that I think that's a gorgeous little song I think it's really poignant and affecting that's a gorgeous song and I was you know like Divine Comedy are one of those bands where like I never quite got into it from like a fandom point of view but this record to me like just uh, maybe a little bit too long, but overall, I was very impressed by how it all stitched together. Yeah, there were moments where I did feel it, maybe not quite collapsed, but certainly wavered. And I mean, you mentioned Duke Special; it's the exact same issue that I would have had with some of his records throughout the years, where you basically have quirk versus quality, mm-hmm. is how I'd term it. That basically, that the sort of concept of you know, let's be a bit wacky, has sort of mm-hmm. taken over to the point that the song can't necessarily support it anymore that you know you have that whole musical thing going on but you'd need a really strong melody or a really strong song to actually support that sort of stuff and it's not always there in this record yeah like it is very theatrical for sure and Mm. like listening to it like a lot sometimes when I listen to albums I kind of wonder okay well like the musician is obviously as well aside from getting out there their thoughts and ideas there is possibly I don't know I could be totally wrong where they have like this image of when they're going to play this song and how it's going to fill a room I could be totally wrong no it does happen yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so like with this 
um, I felt that the show was very much maybe in Neil's head when he wrote this because sometimes it veers on like a musical stand-up comedy um, to the point where the the like t- tongue-in-cheekness of some of the songs make it a bit of a parody and then I'm just like okay this it doesn't gets a bit re- too silly yeah, yeah and you're just like I can't really take this seriously and you wonder if there was you know maybe slightly too long spent in between conceptualization and actually making and recording yeah, and yeah. producing the record I know for a fact that it was the success of um it, that song a girl like you um meant that his record company at the time were just like overflowing with cash so they said I'll take all the time you want mate yeah uh, and they spent yeah. the most no, no money on this one yeah, yeah. That's so smart. Yeah, I, I, I think Neil Hannon is a. I think he's a genius. He's a, a national. He is outstanding. I think he's incredible. I think he's a, a national treasure. But I'm not a fan of this album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd just be the same. Yeah, I like. But I, I think. I think honestly, like Neil Hannon, he is like almost fanboyish levels of like his talent. But I, 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 I just don't connect with this album at all. I yeah. think some of the stuff, you know, like the voices that are at yeah. the start of some of the songs, and sometimes what he's like what he's kind of saying, uh, I just, I just don't, I just not a fan. But uh, and I kind of, but there are moments like you know, I think becoming more like Alfie's a, a great song. It's just a great pop song. It's a great I, pop song, yeah. Yeah, and, but uh, again, and there's a perfect example of where you know, like yeah, the voices at the start, the the, the sample of the movie. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but it stands up to that. It can support that stuff because it's yeah. a great pop song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of the other more, more whimsical stuff, like I just, I, I kind of. I don't wouldn't return to it, you know. But I th- like Divine Comedy went on, I think, and they did um, an album called Findus Findus Yekla. I don't, I don't think that's yeah. Right. I think it was yeah. that the next one. I think I'm not sure if the next one or the one after. Ninety eight, maybe. But I think that's genius. I love it from start to finish, and it's I can hear a lot of that in this. But you know, there's something. I just there's a there's a level of level of depth depth that he went to on that. Yeah. But you know, there's a there's a lot of kind of hiding behind characters and you know stuff here and not really saying like I don't know if he thinks any of the things that he says in some He's of the just songs just saying it for the sake mm. of or the, or the like, character yeah. is saying yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I just I just don't connect with it at all and actually I, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't I'm not a fan of it do you uh, would that be an issue for you guys generally like if somebody either has a character that they would say they're inhabiting or you might think that they might be hiding behind I mean like obviously music doesn't happen that often it does happen there are concept records and like of, of that kind of bent it's more of a visual thing really but mm. like would that put you off generally or is it just you think that he didn't execute it correctly well, the thing about it is, is for me like if something is works it works it doesn't matter what they do you know I, yeah. I don't like if you make something you know some of my most like personally the songs that um, have kind of like done the best for you know De Laurentiis and my band that I've been involved in uh, like the writing of there's a lot of you know brackets and that's it. Sometimes. So what you're really saying is that you've written all of the best Delorentos. No, no, the songs, the songs, that, the songs that I've written that have worked for Del have often been the the most personal ones. But yeah. maybe for Roe, you know, the songs that he, you know, some of the songs that he's written that that have worked the best, they, they're kind of more story based stuff. So it doesn't matter. Like I don't think, and they work just as well. And yeah. you know, but. It's just it can, it's can just be a whether you can do it or not. Yeah. Like sometimes whether, it works, yeah. you know. Like yeah. I think the High Lamb is to a point. Some of that, uh, some of the stuff on that album is kind of like a character. You know, it's kind of Americana. You know. It's well, shall we move there? Let's move to the High Lamas. Let's move to America and figure this all out, guys. <laughs> uh, let's have a listen to the High Lamas. They are the fourth record of five on this list. Oh, 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 
Lamas, the album is Hawaii, and yeah, I mean, even looking over the track list and kind of coming to this, because this was another kind of uh, first listen for me, 29 songs, you are taking the absolute piss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure, because some of the stuff on Spotify, like, it has the collector's edition. Yeah, yeah like, like There's the an Ash entire one. album on the yeah, Ash one, you know? Yeah. That's true, yeah. Yeah, 20, yeah. does it actually, actually have 29 songs? Well, yeah. yeah. Loads it really does. I think they it's kind of really supposed to be like, um, like the pet... Uh, pe- Pet shop, uh, like pet sounds or something like so it has loads of little snippets like and there are yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. bits yeah. you know yeah, so yeah, actually it isn't no old songs yeah that's true yeah no so yeah so there's 29 songs in it and I think from maybe song 21 <laughs> could be 23 I don't I've lost I lost count but it does kind of turn into this weird like unofficial reprise like there's one song maybe it's the third song that has its own sound and then the maybe second last song sounds exactly the same but it it's not characterized as that so yeah it's a bit weird but yeah so the beach boys were mentioned as like a a reference point mm. to it um when this album came out people kind of were saying that like sean o'hagan who is like this is his brainchild kind of was saying that he almost just like fetishized fetishized thank you (laughs) Um, about making an album that was kind of based on like pet sounds and smile and it's like it's pretty obvious in this album like there are times where it is quite similar to that but it's a nice listen um yeah, I don't know if it's I'd go back to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I very mean, easy listening though. Like the orchestral popness of it, mm. it's very airy. It's, but it's like it's not is metal. It, is it so <laughs> background though that you can just easily get up, make a cup of tea, go downstairs, like you know, like check your washing? But uh, that's the problem. I, I was listening to it and I forgot I was listening to it. Yeah, do you know that kind of way? Yeah, I was like I listening was like to it and I was too. like. Right, I need to do that tomorrow, <laughs> and and a couple of songs later, I'm like, oh, I better go back. Like, you know what I mean? Because you just, mm. I just, I could not get into it at all. I mean, part of that is just, I mean, it's the quality of production that you were talking about earlier, Kieran, where they really have managed to make it just pristine. The other thing for me though is that, you know, when you both have the length and I think the ambition of scope that they had. It's almost overwhelming in in the worst sort of way where everything's just coming at you, not necessarily at once, Mm. but in the past half hour, I've heard everything, like (laughs) absolutely everything. All the music. Yeah. and, And it's almost like I can't parse anymore. I can't I can't separate certain tracks. I can't. Yeah. You know, I can't see the wood from the trees after a certain while with this record. And I was trying to think, like, if this album came out today or this year, like how, like if something like this came out, the band would probably have more guest spots on it, which would make it a lot more interesting, I think. Yeah. Because then at least it holds people's attention. And at least then you can be like, oh, well, that's the song that such and such appears yeah, that's, on. That's true. That, that is a thing that does happen. They do sort of, mm. it is very much uh, 
there's a lot of feel. What's the phrase for it? There's, it feels. There's a lot of feel in this album. So you just put it on and you sit back and it gives you a certain feeling, you know. And yeah. actually, I I listen to a lot of these albums with um, you know like around the house or you know in the background when I was getting mm. to know the albums, you know, kind of way. Mm. And then I would listen to them on trains and I'd make notes like just for the reviewing side of it. But I found this the easiest to have on. Uh, in the background, I remember. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a band that I knew, and they got a review, and they said this this album is perfect for putting on at barbecues, and they were really really pissed off. By it. Oh, <laughs> but like, uh, uh, um, it wasn't us. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, I think in a really kind of, it does sound like a, a slag, but it is. It's so easy to listen to, and I would mm, say almost yeah. to the point where again you forget you listen to. It, but yeah. I thought it was really good. I thought the feel of it really sixties. I thought, you know. Um, it was a little bit pastiche at times, but it was rich and it was textured and it was really detailed. And, you know, on, on shuffle, because uh, uh, on a train, if I'm, I don't, I haven't mm. bought Spotify premium. <laughs> so uh, it's just shuffles. And it was shuffling through. I think it got three interludes in a row and I didn't know what was yeah. going on. Like, so the interludes and stuff doesn't really work for a kind of a, the, the Spotify. You have to listen to it. I'm doing bunny ears, the Spotify generation. Yeah. But it is, it's a long player. You sit down, you put it on the background, mm. you, you know, you make a large log fire. You write a great novel. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the great American novel. But no, it, 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 but you know, I think it, I think this would be a gorgeous album for you know having a beer, mm. like putting it on. Having yeah, a, I know not like a barbecue, but not, something that's not trying to grab your attention away from the, what you're doing. Like but if you're that, sitting chatting to friends, drinking yeah. a beer, like have that on the background. It is what like know. it is what it is in that way. Like you can't give out to it for not being really attention grab like the Ash album flits around and each song is very you know like it's it's quite different you know whereas the Divine Comedy is is different and it's got a lot of uh, personality and it wants you to to listen to it and it's telling stories and stuff but this kind of drifts along and but I think in the best way that that can you know yeah Mm. when it was when it came out um, one of the reviews said that too many of the tracks are like over egged puddings Okay, I, I, I'm not sure what to quite make of that. I, I think it's like, like too, too indulgent. Too like indulgent. Yeah, exactly, yeah. it's too indulgent. Yeah. And I, was, like, I was reminded of the Flaming Lips, and I don't know if anyone else got that, but the notion that, you know, over time there are kind of so many bells and whistles just throughout the record that you're kind of like, yeah, I've kind of forgotten the point of this now. Not yeah. what I'm saying. The record um, itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see people in the room just going, "All right, into a microphone." Then. Let's move on. <laughs> no, He's I, gone. What I mean is that by the time you get to you know track twenty two, twenty three, whatever it is, there's probably chunks of it that would work whittled down. But that mm. if you're looking for it to kind of invest in it. It's just, yeah, it's it's not really giving enough back in that regard. Yeah, yeah. It, it is one of those. It's you know, it's a it's a it's a full dinner. It's a you know, it's not yeah. a it's not a dip in and out kind of thing. Yeah. But th- there's a song and I call the Nomads. Uh, I think it's the fifth song or something or the third song. Um, and I think it's it's brilliant. And I, and I went back and I listened to that. And I think, you know, f- out of all the albums here and the you know the the five shortlist, like I can imagine going back and listening to that and not being offended by the fact that it's you know kind of um, uh, so easy to listen to you know I think yeah that's well we'll get to our fifth record the spectacular name Roller Skate Skinny with Horse Drawn Wishes sounds a bit like this (laughs) 
go. Colm Regan's got some thoughts on this one. Yes, this was the sophomore album from Roller Skate Skinny and actually their final album. A lot more came from uh, frontman uh, Ken Griffin especially. But it was immediately lumped in with My Bloody Valentine, perhaps not unsurprising given that Jimmy Shields, uh, guitarist for Roller Skate Skinny, is quite obviously the brother um, of Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine. They struggled, to be honest, to separate themselves from that categorization, And because of that, probably went into this expecting a shoegaze fest and was, I must say, pleasantly surprised by the amount of kind of progressive melodies here. It was funny at the top of the show we said that nothing on this list really sounded like it was kind of targeting something of its time, but could you almost use a term like post-Brit pop for some of these things? Because <laughs> honestly, I I sort of heard myself and I, I heard in the songs, I was like, I mean, I imagine this is what Dodgy's band room sounded like, <laughs> which I know is a phrase that no one's used since 1996. Dodgy's but band at room. the same time. You've really got a method for this uh, and, I, and I appreciate it, Colin. <laughs> yeah, but that's at least my, my opening thought on the album I'll throw to the table. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's a good record. I, I totally agree with you, though, in terms of, like the whole idea of separation. I mean, like, I thought it was a bit too shoegazy. I thought I, I, maybe it's because I was listening to kind of in the shadow of amusement, which you know did so much for me that I was kind of like this, you know, like stacking them up together. I'm not sure it really helped this record, and that might not be fair. But then again, maybe it could have been stronger. Uh, I think it's quite technically sound, but overall, I think as a narrative, I thought it was a little bit samey. Mm. Yeah, you uh, see, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. This is. Um, I'm ashamed to say that uh, I I never heard the album before, um, and, and I heard I knew one of the songs before, but um, I'd never heard it before. So listen, sitting down, listening to it was the first time. And as I said, the first time I heard it, like the first listen through or a couple of listens, I found it very hard to kind of latch onto because I found it a bit um, formless. It's what one of the yeah. notes I wrote formless down, and I, if you know what I mean, I kind of found it hard to know when a chorus was coming, or mm. you know, I just it took a lot of listens to kind of yeah. unlock it. But when I and I felt like I did. I, I thought it was really, really good, and I thought it was um, much more pop. Like at the heart of it is much more pop than a lot of that shoegaze stuff in a good way, you know. In in that the melodies are strong, and um, you know, every time I heard it, I heard something different, you know. And then, like even even now, I was I was I was listening to it on the train on the way in, and I hadn't really heard the keyboard like the like the kind of zippy keyboards in the background. I thought that I thought that it was really cool. It was. Uh, I suppose very early '90s kind of sound, you know, but yeah. it, but it wasn't in that way. It was just being brought into this different kind of thing. I I, I really like the album, and it's probably one that I, I'll have to I'll have to continue to listen to to kind of to kind of fully appreciate. I feel like yeah. you know. See, I was infatuated with it the first time I heard. It, I was like, this is absolutely incredible, and then the more I listened to it, like this evening, I kind of surprised myself a little bit, and I was like, oh, this sounds really different. Like I don't remember it not being as punchy I don't know it kind of the more I listened to it the less of an impression it made on me and it kind of made me quite sad because I you expected more from it like, yeah 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 um, so maybe I just need to revisit it but I mean the songs like Speed to My Side and Swap the Temples are just yeah they're pretty incredible I remember when we started when we started out first in Ham Sandwich years ago Podge was just go on and on and on and on about roller skate skinny and I need to listen to them and stuff but it wasn't really kind of what I was into you know and uh, I remember him letting me hear a couple of songs and stuff and I was like mm, it's not really my thing but I actually really enjoyed listening to the 
to the album. Um, I can see where the My Bloody Valentine kind of thing comes from. But um, I think that he the, had left the band. Yeah, I think he was he, asked to leave the band because of that association. Because he, because really, he's not because yeah. the Jimmy Shields isn't mentioned in any of the credits. Yeah, yeah. and on the um, on the Wikipedia page, which never lies. <laughs> but I, oh, well, I do, I do, but I don't. You know, I don't have yeah. any. <laughs> you know, no one I know listens to are big fans of Roller Skate Senior. I can't just ring someone and go, "What do you know about them?" Yeah, but um, uh, it, it said that he had, he'd left the band after the first album, yeah. and it also said that the band broke up then, like. I think just after this was released, which is... Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And Ken Griffin kind of had a, a bit of a winding road after that, a, a couple of different projects uh, culminating now with uh, August Wells, uh, which is actually the first time that I came across him. And so mm. I've kind of been working through his back catalogue since. Um, I enjoyed this record. And it's interesting that on one side, you know, uh, you said, Kieran, that it was kind of formless and, you know, that maybe the, the poppiness of it was, uh, you know, noticeable at the very least. I felt at times that this record felt stuck somewhere between the proverbial rock and hard place where mm-hmm. it had enough melody to kind of, I guess, draw you out of the atmosphere that you'd normally associate with, you know, a proper shoegazy rock record. Yeah. But at the same time then... Too much shoegazy rock and too much of that kind of unpredictability to sort of, you know, get a three-minute toe-tapper going or whatever. Oh, well, I mean, almost all the songs are six minutes long. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> There's no three-minute toe-tapper <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, quite a lot of long songs, actually, like apart from maybe the Ash record, quite a lot of lengthy songs for these five records that we've chosen. Like I say, that's why at the top of the show I was really struck by, I guess, you know, the, the, the scope of the ambition yeah. of these records that, yeah, none of them were exactly, you know, kind of like riding on a popular wave by any It means. felt like no one no. cared about radio. It's interesting because oh, a lot yeah. of these albums released by these people, like Ash and the Divine Comedy in particular, it was their like commercial breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah, and they were still like, yeah, they yeah. did like, yeah, because it's, it's fu- it is funny because nowadays like you, yeah, I'm sure you agree, you're conscious when you go into a studio and you're recording there are certain songs that you think, right, that's maybe going to get played on the radio and you're conscious of how long it is because you know that people aren't going to listen to something that's five or six minutes yeah. long, you know. Yeah. But back then, I think, you know, there wasn't really that rule back then, I don't think. So people mm. were a lot more relaxed about, let it go on for six minutes. You I, know? Think well, I think maybe as well, I think, sorry to slightly cut across, you just like, one thing I thought about this is that maybe radio just, they did have that rule and, you know, but it just probably wasn't yeah. as important. You know, maybe, that's what yeah. I was just thinking, like yeah. amusement, that album, you know, they're probably not sending that into, you know, Larry Gogan. One thing that really struck me when I was thinking along those lines of, you know, why would somebody think differently about this? And, Part of it, at least I imagine, is because the idea of a sizable national tour in 1996 wasn't a thing. Mm. You probably didn't have a lot of regional venues. You probably didn't have the idea of, you know, this is going to be the commercially viable album that's going to see us out on the road for, you know, a solid two weeks block at the end of this Mm. year. Well, it's interesting that uh, while you say that, like, Ash, you know, a band from Northern Ireland, very much, uh, you know, UK kind of uh, focused, Divine Comedy as well. The, the you know the album is d- doesn't sound like an Irish album. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds very UK. Roller skate skinny. You know, a huge amount of uh, stuff they did in the states, and I think they played 
I, I read something about they played like Lollapalooza and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And the High Lamas, I think the only person in it that was Irish was Sean well, O'Hagan, yeah. but I think he's allowed in because he was the, it was his band and he yeah. wrote the songs and stuff. So um, aside from that, it's Amusement is the only one that is, you know, because it's, it's Jimmy Eady in, in his bedroom mm-hmm. that is actually thinking he's probably not he probably I don't know how much he toured this you know yeah. so yeah. so actually you can see, so <laughs> people yeah. aren't there's no Irish focus gigging you know thing going on really uh, kind of across the board so yeah uh, how do we decide like uh, the gold standard from these well I mean ones? what's the what's we're going to have a punch up I suppose yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll all punch each other <laughs> uh, clockwise um, I think what, what, which album then do we say is the one that we recommend is the one that you need to revisit. I def I my vote would definitely go for amusement, I think. Even though I really love Ash, you know, everybody knows nineteen seventy seven. You know? Everybody knows as little, at least one or two songs off it. Do you know what I mean? It's always gonna be there. It's that album that, you know, they tour and people will continuously, you know, kinda of pass it down almost, mm. you know what I mean? Whereas amusement, like I had never even heard of this band and I absolutely, the album just it floored me and I really enjoyed listening to it and I would listen to it again and again and again and I think it's fresh. I think it's fresh. I'm going to say Amusement as well because I think out of all of them, like it's the one album that kind of comes from the most genuine place. Yeah, it's the best one. But I also do think people should check out The High Lamas because Hawaii, it's, it's, a, it's a mental album. It's really interesting and it's just not of 1996 time. Mm. So I do think it's, it's one for the cooking. I would say, to be fair, that the High Lamas wouldn't quite go to gold standard. No. Uh, maybe give it a bronze in the system that we seem to be employing here. Um, Amusement is a good album. Um, it has its flaws for me. I do find it inaccessible, but I understand where he's you know succeeded in making it inaccessible in a certain way. Yeah. And that, you feel, was a challenge in itself. Um, I think Roller Skate Skinny is worth visiting, uh, if only to see sort of how some of these things were processed at the time, but my vote has to go for Ash. I mean, as much as everybody knows it, there's a reason why it's lived this long, there's a reason why it's the one on a 20-year tour right now. Um, It's a great record. Honestly, if we were having this conversation the whole of the 90s, I could still be giving this answer. Um, (laughs) But so for 1996, it's an easy call, the, the gold star for me. Um, for me, it comes down to, uh, I think, you know, I feel like maybe if you asked me in a month and which one stayed with me, I'd, I'd get a better answer for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to go for amusement because there's a part of me that loves the underdog and there's a pro- that's yeah. probably the underdog on the list. Yeah. And I think it'd be really cool to kind of recommend something that people have never heard, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think just from the kind of, the quality maybe of the album and the phone of it and stuff, I think I've got to put it marked down for Ash as well. So I think for Ooh. both of those, I'm going to put you forward. I do. This is like, this is incredible because uh, <laughs> my mind was already made up and now it's like this power that has come. Is, <laughs> power is going to go to your head. It's coursing now. through my veins. Uh, compelling arguments for both. Uh, they, they Both records would in fact be my final two as well, despite my kind of... Uh, original kind of choice of pushing with Divine Comedy the record as well well, I'd probably award silver to I suppose if we're going to go down that road but 
I gotta say, much to Cullum's chagrin, uh, and pretty much uh, when he was speaking, I was just like, yeah, that's completely, like, the words are coming out of my own mouth. I, I gotta go with amusement. I have to. Um, primarily because I do agree that, you know, I think it deserves more focus. I think it deserves to kind of get that second life, as you kind of said about the start of the show. Does Not to denigrate the Ash album at all, I think it is an album that everyone should own, but I think amusement is a record everyone should discover. Yeah. And that's ultimately kind of my takeaway from it. And overall, like... The Ash record really did take me back to those kind of, you know, like assembly hall, you know, watching your mates get a blue card for using profanity on stage, like when you're in school kind of days. But with Amusement, I was very much like, oh, this fucking knocked me out. Like, I mean, this completely floored me. And it's just really well put together. I really admire uh, what was accomplished with that record. So that's my vote. Would we? Okay. well, I mean, looking at the votes there, it's Ash on sort of three and a half and uh, amusement on four arguing about how strong people's opinions are so would we say but we would like to recommend both I mean is that fair is that a mix I think that's fair that's fair yeah, yeah. I think that's fair because I think that way maybe you're saying to the people who do, who know nothing about the list they get they get both sides of it they get the yeah. the, the classic album which was classic then and still a classic now mm-hmm. and they get and was and it was a big album and they get a small album that they mightn't have heard then but you know they just discovered yeah. for the first time so yeah. that seems like a pretty good and it's good. two entirely different things like if you, even mm-hmm. if you've listened to Ash before and you hear it again you get the nostalgia and if you like I never heard of Amusement and it gives you that new feeling you know mm. which is which is the thing you, you want to have as well like you know I'd never heard this before and that kind of excitement about what you're going to hear and excitement after you've listened to it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. The one thing I'd say to wrap up... You're though, beating, man. You're, you're beating. It's over. You know, <laughs> and you mentioned it ever so briefly uh, when talking about Ash's album. Uh, one thing that we can offer new to uh, young fans out there is if you've never in your life heard a properly racist song by an Irish band, go listen to Kung Fu and think about what sort of lyrics you could get away with in 1996. That featured on that a... was back in the day, man. It was nobody cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was grand. We're all safe now. We're good. Um, featured on a movie, didn't it? I probably did. Yeah, it was, like the, done, yeah. it was on the end credits of... Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah. I think it was on that, that terrible Irish zombie movie, but Ash got a lot of... Uh, uh, sinks, as they say, but uh, and rightly so. They wrote some very, very sharp pop songs and still continue to uh, to this day. Uh, big fan of Shining Light. Quite like that. Quite like that song. Great song. To this day. To this day. In two thousand one, of this show. It's a time machine of an episode. And uh, well, listen. Thanks very much to everybody for coming in. Uh, to Neve Farrell, Zara Hedeman, Kira McGuinness, and Colin Morrigan, uh, as always. So uh, yeah, this has been a very special episode of No Encore, and you'll hear more from it. I guess we'll have a we'll have a track from Amusement to play us out this week. And after Optimism is the name of the record, Amusement was the name of the project, as headed up by Jimmy Eady. Kier took the time to catch up with Jimmy and gain new insight into the record's process. So we're giving you a call because Amusement and After Optimism was um, our kind of um, album to revisit um, on, on the podcast this week. So um, I guess we just like to have a chat with you about it and. Uh, First of all, how do you feel about uh, hearing that news? I was very surprised. Uh, very surprised. I thought it was uh, going to be uh, not a long lost classic, just a long lost. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how many people bought it. Um, very few. It sort of came and went in 1980, 1986, 1996, um, without much fanfare. Really. Um, so, yeah, uh, good news. Good to, good to hear that somebody... How do you find it, by the way? 
Well, um, when we were doing up the shortlist for the year, um, it was on uh, one of the websites, you know, you use five or six websites to try and put together a kind of a long list. And it was yeah. on a website called Discogs. And then um, through that, uh, there was a, an MP3, uh, um, a site with MP3s. Yeah. And then we handed it out to everyone. And then when everyone kind of listened through the tracks, that was one of the ones yeah. that was chosen by yeah. uh, the, the, the group of people. And uh, so they kind of came back with lots of different things. They said that it sounded quite 90s, but it was inventive. They thought it was very grungy. They thought it sounded angry. They thought, uh, yeah. you know, there was Pixies and Nirvana kind of in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. What, big, what do you remember about recording the actual album? Uh, okay, the, the process of recording it, um, if I give you the backstory, I was in a band called Into Paradise before that, and we had uh, we were one of those Irish bands. We got signed for uh, the blink of an eye and lost the contract. Again, and another blink of an eye. And uh, we we were with the Santa Records in Christmas. But anyway, at the end of that, I sort of um, sold all my guitar amps and stuff and bought a little eight-track cassette machine to to start writing music because I didn't want to play live anymore or anything like that. So mm. I hid myself away in a bedroom with this little cassette machine, um, eight-track, and started writing those uh, those that amusement album which took about it was 94 released in 96 I think so it was about a year and a half of writing and uh, it was a slow process but I thoroughly enjoyed it um, I learned a lot I suppose about recording doing it about you know because the limitations with the A tracks it was just it was just you had to get it right on the on the way in you know yeah red light and yeah, because of red it, light yeah because it was done, sorry go ahead the red light feeling when the light goes on, you got it. Yeah, it's like a different. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, <laughs> the thing is, it was done with no amp. There was no amplifiers. The guitars were just directly in, you know, through a boss pedal, and the microphone was like ten euros, I think. Uh, it was so DIY. It was incredible. Um, and yeah, it was just. It was. It was just. It was. When I say enjoy, but well, yeah, it wasn't. It was cathartic, I just, I suppose, you know. The, another funny story with the whole thing is that, well, I should say that I finished all these recorded. I was um, two amazing guys that need to be mentioned. I think around that period, they helped a lot of bands: Brian O'Neill and Shane O'Neill. I don't know if you remember a band called Blue and Heaven. Do you? Uh, I've heard the name. Yeah, long w- way back, um, even before for this, but um, they ran a record label called Dirt, and. If it wasn't for them, it, it would still be under the bed, sort of thing, you know. Yeah. So, um, one of the things as well, um, it's is it true? You, it's completely, completely you. Everything on the yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just me with um with my boss pedal and my ten euro mic, and uh, there's a synth called the Korg M1 synth, which were the drums. So um, I could program up the drums, but the thing is, I only had eight tracks. So as I was putting the drums down, I had to play bass with them. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And if I messed up, then I had to start again. And then, you know, when I was recording another track, I had to sing with the guitar. I was just like, it was just, it was so funny. When I think back, now we have a computer, you know, you limitless and have tracks. It was like, yeah. my whole my whole world of these eight tracks was hilarious. Really. And um, has Amusement ever released anything else? No, that was it. Um, that was I went on, I started doing a second record after that with uh, some friends um, from a band called The Idiots um, who were around the same time. And that was sounding really good. But I think I was just jaded 
around that aftermath. I went to London with it because a few record labels were interested in creation. Records was one uh, from England, and the publisher in London was interested in music. And because I think I was just so, you know, the, the old music business gets you. Um, I, I, was, I was very unwilling or something, you know. Mm. I don't know. It was a, I made some really stupid decisions. <laughs> they were basically offering me studios and things, and I was like, no, I want to do it all myself at home. And Anyway. You know. You've gone on to record um, lots of great stuff like Jape and Weaker Corners and Valerie Francis and stuff like that. Yeah. Are you, you're working as a producer full-time now? No, I was. I passed that in. Um, that's another another chapter. Um, but mainly, I'm just... Um, I'm a dad now, raising, raising the kids. And I do a bit of my own work and I just use SoundCloud as a, as a sort of platform to up, upload ideas. But basically, I teach production and sound engineering for a living now. And um but I've I've sold all my audio engineering gear from the studio and everything. So but there you go. It's uh and uh, you know I sold it and bought a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that says a lot, doesn't I'm a, it? <laughs> yeah. I'm a suburban dad now who so puts the grass to be good. Well, look, um, thank you very much for taking the call and uh, congratulations on uh, a brilliant album. And uh, we'll have it. We're going to, if it's okay with yourself, we're probably going to um, link to it on YouTube or, or wherever we can find the MP3 oh, yeah, so people do, can, yeah. can enjoy Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Karen. Thanks, Jimmy. Take it easy.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you Acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.